Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello, and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today, I'm sitting down with Dale Hensel. Dale, how are you doing today? Man, I am great. Man, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. Uh, I'm, I'm honored because one of our listeners actually referred me to you and said, I have to have you on the show. So thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, why don't you take a second to kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing. Sure. So, uh, you know, I have a little bit of a long story. I'll give you the short version. And it's been very adventurous. I've been a real estate investor for about 25 years. I started when I was about 26. And my very first deal was a 15 unit apartment complex. And then my next deal was another 16 unit apartment complex. And then I went on from there and bought uh, another 44 units. And six months later, I bought another 44 units. And then I kept going. And in about two and a half years, I built up a portfolio of about 250 rentals. I was 26 at the time I uh, when I started. I didn't have any credit. I didn't have any money. I didn't know what I was doing. But it really didn't stop me, right? <laughs> I was just like, well, cool. Ignorance was bliss at this point because uh, I didn't know how hard it was supposed to be. So I just went ahead and did it. And then I found out later, gosh, that's really hard. But I did it anyway. So it, it, it was, But then it was already done. Uh, I went on to Dallas to buy a part of a 400-unit apartment complex, and I found out very quickly what the uh, t politics are like in Dallas, and I, uh, that apartment complex ended up getting bulldozed, and I lost a lot of money on it, but wow. I, yeah, I had a great education. I mean, I paid for at least a quarter million dollars worth of education right there. <laughs> um, then what I did was uh, I, I, uh, I then went on and started buying non-performing loans in in um, uh, from banks direct from banks right okay. <clears throat> and i found that i could buy bad debt from banks for about 25 cents on the dollar but I, no banks would loan me money to buy other banks bad debt so i went ahead and took my company public i raised uh, over a period of time a little over 90 million dollars and i had a 75 million dollar line of credit and we were buying non-performing loans direct from banks for from 2002 to about 2007 and in 2007, I was um, I had a, a hedge fund invest in us, and then they said, "Wow, we really like what you built here. We think the banks are going to crash." And I said, "Yeah, so do I." And so they went ahead and bought my position out, and um, I semi-retired. That lasted for a little while. Uh, I really suck at retirement, so I started buying, <laughs> I started buying up some more real estate. I ended up buying a lot more commercial, flipping a couple uh, uh, multi-story um, like skyscraper type deals. Uh, bought some great commercial property uh, at you know 20 25 cents on the dollar and uh, then started doing assisted living facilities as well because those were highly profitable but my late, latest venture is actually my, one of my favorites it's um, uh, Airbnb rental arbitrage where I'm not investing in the property as much as I'm developing cash flowing properties on a rental basis it's pretty damn cool but that, that's a little bit about some of my experiences okay well I did not realize that this morning when I sat down to do this interview that Dale was going to test my abilities to get the most information in 30 to 40 minutes. Man, you just covered like 
so many different strategies and and we might have to have you come back on and and kind of go more in depth in some of these i'm going to try to cover uh all of those different things that you uh just said that you've done over the past 25 years which is incredibly impressive thank let's, you let's talk about when you started with multifamily because i know there's a ton of people right now in the single family world and they're wanting to go to the the multifamily route one thing that stood out to me is you said that you had no credit and you had no money. So how were you purchasing those multifamily when you first got started? Right. So um, I, I see a lot of people running towards the multifamily uh, model right now. And whenever everybody's like stampeding towards something, I tend to like move away from it. Right. Um, so what you got to realize that when I was doing this uh, was back in 1996, right? right? And I identified like three core things that I needed to be doing to be able to get into the multifamily world without, without you know, breaking my bank and breaking my, you know, neck. One of them was is I picked the right markets, meaning, or I picked the right uh, market size, mar apartment size, really. So I found that the really, really big stuff, like 150, 200 units, those are all being chased, especially right now, by really big money. Pension funds, uh, other funds, alternative investments, and lots of uh, high net worth individuals. So that means there's a lot of money chasing few deals. So um, even then, it was harder to get into that stuff. But one of the things I did was I recognized the, that between everything up to one to four units, you can use with a regular bank loan, you know, a HUD loan, a bank loan, FHA loan, whereas everything five and above starts to get into commercial. It automatically qualifies for commercial. So I started, I found that there was like this sweet spot somewhere between 20 uh, apartments and about 40 apartments. And right in that sweet spot, it's too small for the big guys and it's too big for most small guys or most people who don't think they can get into it. So what that leaves is, is a huge opportunity where the owners of these properties who ended up in them one way or another has, uh, has a hard time selling them because at just about 20, you have about enough cash flow to have an on-site manager that you can afford to pay a little bit and give them free rent. And below that, it's a little bit hard, so you gotta do all the work yourself. So I found between 20 and 40 um, was like the sweet spot and, and sometimes upwards of 60 because the owners had a hard time selling them because people were like too small and the big guys didn't care. Right. So that means that a lot of people in that space were much more interested in an owner finance model. They would say, you know, I, I, look, I'll just, I just don't want to manage the damn thing anymore. I'll, I'm, I've been managing it for X number of years. I want to be done. You give me some money down, <clears throat> I'll carry the note, and in four, five, six years, or whatever, you can ref you can refi and pay me off. Now, what a lot of people don't may not realize is it's so much easier to refinance a property than it is to purchase a property using bank financing. Right. So, so if you own, if you can get in and own it for twelve to twenty-four months, you've got uh, a, a huge opportunity to refinance much easier, much less effort, and much less money through um, a bank than you do if you're, you know, just just trying to outright purchase it so that i had accidentally learned from somebody who had been buying them and he said yeah listen if you just looked at this section here's all these apartments and all you have to do is you go just go to the owner and say you want to sell i'll uh, i'll give you some money down and you don't have to uh, <clears throat> you don't have to change any toilets or fix any roofs or anything i'll take care of everything here's some money get on down the road <clears throat> now the way i always got money was that i learned to early on to ask people Hey, can I, you know, have some money? Can, you know, an investor, hey, I'll give you X, Y, Z if you give me the money and I'll be the one running around painting the house and painting the apartments and fixing them up. You put the money up, I'll put the work up, we'll get it done, we'll own this. And boom, 
so that was my trick was a the first piece was is it had to be a certain size uh, B, the owner was 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 my bank because at certain size I also could get competitive prices compared to the rest of the market um, uh, B, the owner ended up being my bank and C, uh, I had a lot of people who wanted to get into apartments who had cash but didn't have time because they had full-time jobs so I just simply said hey listen let's let's joint venture this a little bit you take you know 15 20 30 percent or I'll give you um, you know five or seven percent on your money plus I'll give you like 20 percent ownership and suddenly I had access to deals that other people didn't and I was able to structure them fairly quickly so that was how I did it with no money does that make sense yes perfect sense that's amazing let me ask you this. Do you still own those apartment complexes or did you eventually sell them? Sold everything in 2007. So you sold everything in 2007. One of the key pieces that you said there is because of the size of the apartment complexes, those previous owners had a hard time selling them, which is why you were able to purchase them. Did you have a hard time selling them when you went to resell them? No, because the market had shifted and in 2006 and seven, the market was like all frothy and everybody was excited and thinking, hey, if I buy any real estate, it's going to go up and I'll sell it for a million dollars next year. Okay, so I sold it in a super hyper hot, uh, anxious market and it was not hard for me to sell those at all. Gotcha. So then you got out of the multifamily and you went into non-performing notes, correct? Yep. Okay, so let's talk about that real quick. You bet. You said that you couldn't find banks to finance you buying other banks bad debt which makes complete sense why would you do that so then you took your your company public so talk about that process and how is how did you come up with that being like your answer to the like the solution to that problem well um part of it is is who do you hang around with Right. And so some of the people I hung around with were private equity guys and hedge fund guys. And they said, I said, well, I need to raise a bunch of money. Um, how do I do it? Should I do a like, like reg, reg D 506? But I need to raise like 20, 30 million dollars. And they said, what are you trying to do? I told them and they said, oh, first of all, um, you're an individual. It's hard for a bank to take you seriously. So, uh, you know, you got to reposition yourself. Why don't you, you know, come in as a public company and say, hey, I'm a public company. And that automatically qualifies you as a, an accredited investor enough for the banks to talk to you seriously. Um, and, and they said, and second of all, you can go to the markets and then say, hey, listen, I want to raise money as a, uh, as a publicly traded company. And if you know how to do that, it's so much easier. So somebody had told me that you could raise more money easier and faster with a public company. So I said, okay, cool. How do you do that? I said, well, fastest way is to buy a pub existing publicly traded company with like a zero, zero balance sheet, costs about four or $500,000. And then you've got a company and then you've got, but it's already traded on the stock market. And then you, um, you maybe we did a reverse split and everything else to shrink the, the amount of shares down. And then we stole, uh, so in other words, we just restructured the capital uh, structure of the company. And then we went out and raised money. And I gave people stock for, you know, to, so for cash so that I could go buy, buy houses. And, um, and that was a much, much easier uh, pitch for me to go to uh, high net worth individuals and say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm doing this and institutional investors and say, I'm doing this. And they looked at it and said, cool, we understand that. That's pretty hot. That's awesome. Here's some money. So it was uh, the fact that we, A, had experience, B, we'd been buying non-performing loans, and our results were pretty darn good. So we consistently did that over and over and over. And we were buying first lien uh, single-family house loans all over the country. I think by 2007, we had reached a point where we were doing close upwards of 300 houses per week wow. uh, at about 25 cents on the dollar in bulk. So we were buying in bulk and big uh, portfolios at a time. It was awesome. 
Yeah. So kind of wrap up the non-performing notes. So you're buying, you know, sometimes 300 a week. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening with all of those notes and kind of how did you wrap up that strategy to move on to the to the next phase of your career? <laughs> so the next piece was, uh, well, so here's the basics uh, of, of a single note. Let's just talk about one note. Okay. Well, actually, let's talk about a portfolio of, let's say, 100 notes. We would look at them on a Monday. By Wednesday, we would have our <clears throat> uh, pricing that we would we would have our due diligence. And by Friday, we would have our pricing and put our bid in on the, the pool. And by uh, the next Wednesday, they would usually either accept or reject our bid. And if they accepted it, then we would have probably until uh, that Friday or the following Friday to to fund it. So that meant it was a fairly fast liquid market. We were, you know, we were buying these things in really short uh, uh, sprints. What we would do is we would look at, say, 100 houses. We did an, we would uh, send out a bunch of uh, broker price opinion requests. We would get a bunch of information back, and we would take our best guess of what it would be worth. We'd say, okay, these houses are, let's say, they're all worth 100000 Then we would say, all right, well, they're in these different states, so we, it's going to take us this long to foreclose on each house, and it's going to cost us this much, and we have a, a debt collection aspect to our company and a foreclosure aspect, and we would buy the 100 units in, after we'd priced it down, we'd probably price it at 22, 24, 28 cents, maybe 35 cents, depending. They And we would figure out where we needed to land. We would land where we needed to, buy the houses. And then we would uh, slice and dice them up because we had had a number of, we'd been developing a whole uh, sales team. Well, not sales, well, a sales team, but a, a whole group of uh, affiliated investors all over the country. We would call up a guy in Alabama and say, I just bought four houses in this area. Would you be willing to take them the notes for 60 cents on the dollar and or uh, or 70 cents? And he'd be like, well, I'll pay 58. Well, we'd paid 22, so we said we sold those off to them. So it was a very fast transaction. So we would take around anywhere from two-thirds to half of the notes and, and resell them immediately. And that would go to pay off our acquisition cost uh, on our line of credit. And then following that, the remaining ones would go into a long-term asset maximization pool, which means we would foreclose and see if we couldn't get even more money out of them. But we didn't have an immediate investors in the area. So that's when we would go to our, our partners and say, hey, listen, um, here's a uh, joint venture pool of like 17 houses. Uh, put in X number of dollars, we carry it, we service it, we uh, charge fees against it, and we split the profits on the back end. Man, you know, the thing that I love about having this podcast is there's times where you're so encompassed in your own little bubble. Like yeah. For myself, I'm doing so much. I feel like I'm doing a lot. And then I have a guest like you come on, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not doing anything compared to what you've done. That is incredible, man. I, I love I love that that story right there. I mean, that's that's incredible that you were able to do. I mean, all of those steps. I mean, truly, that's just a, amazing. And I, and I'm sure there's people out there in your world that, you know, that's common common knowledge. But uh, by far, this is the the first time I've had a guest on that's ever explained something like that. So thank you for sharing that. So you eventually sold off your position, and, or yep. you you were semi retired. Found so, out you didn't like retirement, and then you yeah, moved I, on to, to commercial, right? Well, so during that time, I actually started a supplement company with a couple guys, and over the next four years, we did about $85 million in sales online. So I kind of had a new career for a little while. <clears throat> but as we were doing that, I was uh, also picking up houses and picking up um, 
uh, commercial. So I found a couple, you know, 21 cents on the dollar commercial properties. Uh, I was able to buy and flip a skyscraper in downtown Albuquerque. Um, I bought it and I owned it for 15 minutes. Um, I bought a six and a half million dollar property for six hundred and fifty thousand dollars and turned around and resold it to a guy. Uh, I can't disclose the amount because I'm under non-disclosure, but resold it for a guy for huge amounts of money um, in 15 minutes because I had structured the whole deal and the bank needed it off their books because it was going to be a publicity black eye if they didn't get it off their books in the right way. So that's what I did. I acted as a uh, a publicity shield for a bank and another guy, and I facilitated the transaction and made a you know a boatload of money really fast. So you were essentially wholesaling and double closing on skyscrapers. Yeah, that was pretty damn cool. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> that's that's funny. So let's talk about that real quick. I mean, sure. were these just connections that you had from your your non-performing note buying days that came to you and said, Hey, we, we need somebody to help facilitate this deal. Or how did you, how did you find these deals? I mean, you're, you're talking about buying something at like 10% of what it's worth. I mean, how, how was this deal coming your way? Well, so like anything, I, I plant a lot of seeds and I network the hell out of things. And these were all people who I didn't know from my non-performing note buying days, but it's the same structure. You know, I just understand how to talk to banks and I understand how to talk to people. And I understand um, because I, I, I'm more or less an expert in lean law, lean um, uh, title work, um, uh, you know, lawsuits and everything else. I, I understand all of the hairy problems that can sometimes come along with real estate. So what I do is I just come in as like the real estate barber and I just shave hairy problems and they're suddenly like clean shaven and look good and and that's awesome. So that's what I did is I stepped in to talk to a bank. They had this problem and I knew how to solve it and I understood their problem really well. And uh, I had a guy who was interested in, you know, deploying capital that he had, had sitting around and he wanted to, you know, move it into a good deal. So basically just all my contacts. So it was pretty cool. One thing that you keep saying that I think is different than almost 100% of the people that I talk to is you don't talk about talking to sellers or the person that owns the – you're talking to the bank. You, yeah. Everything that you're doing was direct to bank. Is that kind of how you've done majority of your career has just been instead of going to a seller, you're going to the bank that owns a non-performing asset of some sort? Well, I found that they, they're a lot more reasonable than grandma who's really upset about losing her house, right? I like, right. you know, now don't get me wrong. I've talked to hundreds of sellers and hundreds of motivated sellers. And um, I even will teach people how to flip a couple houses by talking to motivated sellers. I can do that. But that's boring and everybody's doing that. And the thing is, is you, you have to have a certain emotional uh, intelligence to be able to communicate in really difficult, emotionally tough ways to these people. Hey, you're going to lose your house and I'm your best option. So when I go to a bank, it's, it's, I'm talking to like four or five board members. I'm going, you're not going to lose your house. You're going to lose your job. And this is why, because you guys sucked at this asset. And let me show you how I can fix it for you. And suddenly they're like, oh, he's going to save our jobs and we might get our bonus and everything else. And so I'm addressing <laughs> their problems. And as a board of directors, they're much more um, willing to, to look at it as just a financial transaction that's as long as I'm, they understand I'm solving their other problems too. So yeah, I love talking to banks more. That's just, awesome. It, besides, so, banks have all the money, so that's where I go. So we're about to have a 
probably the one and only time I will ever say this in the history of the titanium vault. Because we, I'm a real estate investor, and we try to target just real estate investors, and you've done so many awesome things in real estate, I'm going to completely ignore the fact that you told me you started a business that had $85 million in sales. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the only time I'm ever going to say that on the podcast. Let's move on to uh, what, you're, what you're doing now in the vacation rentals and Airbnb, because I, I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this because I think everybody has questions about that right now. It's kind of like, I think I might want to do it, but I'm not sure there's questions about, you know, how are the municipalities going to change laws and regulations regarding Airbnbs and things like that. So just I'll open the floor to you to kind of explain what it is that you're doing in that strategy today. Okay. First of all, uh, my wife and I had been talking about moving to Belize forever. And um, one time, you know, when I was in the process of selling this, selling off my interest in the last company, my wife said, why don't we just move to a beach town? Because we've been talking about doing it and just do that. And it's like, all right, let's do that. So we packed up our bags, moved to Playa del Carmen, Mexico. And it's a very, very high intensity tourist area, which is great. And when I got here, I was like, all right, how can I do this? And some of these properties here, they, you know, a small condo can range anywhere from, you know, four or 500,000 up to three, four million. I found this beautiful house for 10 million the other day too, but I guess that's not really within the range of what I'm trying to do. Um, and so the thing is, is that, you know, these properties can be pretty expensive and me and nobody, nobody has banks. The banks don't really loan money out here. So everything has to be cash. That means that if I buy a bunch of properties, I'm going to be out of cash in no time flat and I will have a very piss poor return on cash on cash return. So I thought, all right, how do I produce the same effect of leverage without having banks as leverage? And I started looking around and I ran across somebody who was doing this in Dallas, Texas. And I said, oh, I get it. So I went to a couple people here and I said, uh, everybody wants to um, rent either short term or long term, but there's slow seasons like down right now. It's slow season down here where you can rent a, a long term deal really, really cheap. So I rented two houses right next to each other, four bedroom each at $2,000 a month each. Right. So I got two. One's a five bedroom, one's a four bedroom, but literally they're they're physically next door to each other. Two different owners, by the way. Uh, and so what I do is I pay $2,000 a month and then I put it on Airbnb, Booking, TripAdvisor, HomeAway, VRBO. And remember when you ignored the uh, $85 million uh, online company? Right. While I was doing that, we learned how to run a lot of Facebook ads. So now we're running Facebook ads and we're filling these houses up. So I'm renting the house out for $2,000 a month. Therefore, it's like leverage because I didn't have to put much down. I did have to put about $7,500 down, which was uh, $4,000 first month in deposit plus buy some furniture and some other things. Right. So it cost me about $7,500 to get into the property. Uh, and then I turn around and rent it out on during the slow season for about 200 bucks a day, 250 bucks a day. And during the high season, which is December, January, February, March, April, May, um, that is, you know, basically about six months at high season, I can get somewhere between 800 and $1,500 per night. So, Whoa. so what I'm doing is, is, um, I, these two houses would, will, uh, overall over the whole year, um, will average right around, uh, Twelve to fifteen thousand dollars a month in in net profits, and so I'm renting it for two thousand, and I'm making ten thousand a month. That's better than any 
uh, you know, apartment complex I've ever run across. So with, you know, so for like $50,000, deploying $50,000 into some markets here, I can instantly create, um, each house generates right between, uh, you know, probably around $80,000 a year, net, net profits, net, net, right? So every four bedroom house I rent here for two grand a month turns into 80,000 a, a year in net profits. That's pretty wow. cool, right? So my goal here is to get about 30 uh, or so of those houses set up over the next six months and just, you know, enjoy the cash flow. Now, 30 houses is the equivalent of like two 500 unit apartment complexes on net cash flow rent terms. It's huge and it's so much easier to get into than a giant, you know, a thousand units of apartments, right? So to do to facilitate that, I'm also in the process of uh, buying a hotel down here so that I can use the hotel as a, a central point for all of my physical management of the properties and all of the properties become a virtual hotel that adds onto the hotel, meaning that as I get the hotel and I ramp it up, all of these additional properties act as virtual rooms. So if the hotel is full for the night, we just push them off into the Airbnb. And if the Airbnb is full, we can push them off into the hotel. And the hotel acts as a centralized planning point and uh, physical location for management of all the physical pieces, including housekeeping, towels, sheets, everything else. So that's what I'm doing down here. And like I said, every house can turn around between a fifty and eighty thousand dollar a year net profit. So two houses is going to generate me almost uh, one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year in extra profits with just two houses. And it cost me about $15,000 just to get into those two. So the return on investment there is so much higher. And because it's Mexico, eh, you know, I don't give a shit what the, what the municipalities are gonna say. In the US, you know, here's how I look at it. I always look at the rules of the game and then I look for the loopholes. Part of it is, is that if Airbnb is your only platform, you are gonna be stuck. If you use Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you're gonna have uh, a group of long-term followers who are going to rent, want to rent your thing, so your apartments, so you can still do it. If I have to pay tax, I have to pay the tax. That's just part of business. You just have to put it into your uh, financial calculations. So now I'm actually getting ready to be teaching a, a course on this. I'm, I'm gonna be laying this out, some of the cool things we've learned, some of the higher end processes that I borrowed from my other businesses, some of the accounting uh, models that help make this super easy and decision and kind of stupid proof. So I'm working on doing that, building that out right now. But as it is, I am just acquiring houses down here uh, and uh, uh, facilitating our growth. So that's kind of a cool, fun thing that I'm doing. Absolutely. Let me ask you, when you're renting these townhomes, apartments, condos, single family homes, do you ever have pushback from the landlord and the fact that you're going to rent it out on Airbnb and VRBO and all these different sites? Well, I put it to them like this. And sometimes I get pushed back, but then sometimes they're just not a fit. So here's the thing. There's plenty of houses out there. And I go to them and said, look, do you, wanna, do you want somebody who lives here every day, doesn't take care of the house because they're, they have a renter mentality? Or do you want a landlord who rents your place out, who's been a landlord for 20 years, who will take care of your property even better? Because if it's not painted and fresh looking and nice looking every single day, then um, I'm, I'm losing money. So I will take care of your property better than somebody who actually lives in it. And if you don't like the idea, that's no problem. No, thank you. Goodbye. But if you do, here's, a, here's the deal. 
because I'm fully transparent with these guys. I go, here's the deal. I will sublease them. I will sublease it. That works for you. And if you would like, you could actually use your own property and we'll work out a deal. Uh, I just did this the other day where you get it for X number of days per year. Come on down. No problem. We'll just book it out. Black it up, you know, black it out. And nice. yeah. And so I have found uh, if you, it's all in a matter of how you approach people and the and making sure that they understand the benefits you bring them enough so that they're not pushing back. Because if they're pushing back, it's because you really haven't explained well enough what you're doing. Right. Well, let me ask you this because, okay, so you're doing this in Mexico. Sure. Do you think this could be something that you could duplicate in other, I guess, tropical destinations that yeah, are even have foreign to countries? Yes, they don't. They, this base, the model basically works anywhere in the world because what it is, is it's, let's think about it, how, how it's occurring. The structure is this. You're taking a property and you're renting it out for on Airbnb and other, uh, uh, you know, Airbnb type platforms, which you're renting it on a nightly basis. That's where you get your highest returns. You're renting it out in a way that um, acts kind of like a little bit of a hotel. It doesn't matter where you're at. It just it's just a math problem. Can you get in front of your your customers use on Airbnb, VRBO, etc.? Or um, and if you can, what's your minimum break-even amount? Our minimum break-even is for if we if we basically rent out uh, a house for ten days at two hundred bucks a month, we're break-even, right? If we rent out um, the houses for five hundred dollars a month, it, it's four days a month that we have to hit break-even. That's not very much. Right. So, so I look at it like that and say, how? What is my break-even point so that I can, uh, uh, you know, so I know what my worst-case scenario is and um, what's what's my highest upside? Okay, once I figure that out, then I just I just do that. Doesn't matter. You can do it in the U.S. You can do it in cold regions. And I have friends who are doing this up in Canada and they're killing it. I have a friend up in Vancouver who's uh, doing this in Vancouver, and he's only got like ten places he rented, but yeah, he's doing he's doing like uh, seventy thousand dollars a month in net rents, and I was like, wow, that's awesome. Dale, so I'm just letting you know I might be renting a house in Iceland before this interview drops. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I, it, it's always been a dream of mine to go to Iceland, and I'm like, oh. Now that you're breaking it down this way, I've heard of people doing it, but it, just how simple you just made it. You broke it down and you made it so simple. So yeah, uh, I'll definitely be your first client when your uh, program rolls out to how you teach this. L let me ask you, are you, do you have internal staff that you're self-managing these with, or are you hiring a property management company? Um, for right now, I'm internally managing everything because I want to build the system so that I make sure that, because you got to realize I've built two eight-figure companies already. I, I just, I know how to build a system, but my first job is always to fire myself as fast as quick as possible out of any position until I'm just owner or investor. So while I'm building these systems out, yeah, I have people, I'm managing them, um, I'm understanding, all right, how, what, where. If I just handed this off to a property management company, I would hope that they would be, they would keep me as their pri primary uh, customer, but they really don't care. And so if I take a little bit of time and hire one or two people and train them, and there's lots of people who would love jobs, honest to God, just love to have jobs. <clears throat> and if I can make $160,000 a year in net profits and pay somebody down here, uh, say $20,000 a year, so I never have to step on any of the properties or $30,000 a year, so I never have to see anything, that's well worth it, right? 
because that same person at fifty thousand a year and and a couple other people staff wise could generate four or five hundred thousand dollars a year in net profits with a few extra houses. So I prefer to hire internal and train for long term and keep for long term rather than here hand it off to somebody. Now the difference between doing it internal and hiring a management company is a management company can come in and in the first week or two they can get it all set and go. Doing it my way, it probably takes an extra month or two, so maybe two, maybe three months of setup. But then I have my own uh, stuff set up and running. Both of them work because all you have to, it's still just a math problem, right? What does it cost hiring somebody versus what does it cost internally uh, training somebody? Does that make right. sense? Absolutely. Well, Dale, I have to say um, your story is incredible. The amount of things that you've done is just astonishing. And uh, the fact that you somehow magically went through all of those different strategies in roughly 30 minutes is unbelievable. Um, I, I guess my last question to you is, is what are what drives you now and like what do you want to do moving forward in the future i know you're doing the airbnbs but is there something out there that's still kind of the the crown jewel of something that you haven't done yet and you you want to achieve that at some point in time um well my bucket list is has got a lot of scratch offs so i've already scratched off a lot of things <laughs> um i'm only 48 at this point so i'm still young and i suck at retirement so i'm not doing that again um so what i what i want to basically what i'm doing now is uh, I'm building courses, I'm building companies. I'm mostly an investor. Um, I do a lot of like private equity type stuff where I come in and I invest money in other companies and help them grow from you know small to big. Uh, I've been mentoring as a mentor for the last 17 years and uh, that's part of what I do now, I guess, is I, I enjoy that. I also, you know, I like seeing people get up going and, and like really like rocking it. <clears throat> and then long term, um, you know, I'm just working on building a foundation. My goal is, you know, $100 million for the foundation so that I can, um, you know, so that I want it to last 100 years past my death and I want it to be in the realm of uh, school and college is not the only answer. Uh, you know, so basically kind of alternative learning. I love it, man. That is uh, an awesome uh, cause there and, and I'm right there beside you as far as uh, school and college is not the only answer. Um, I, I grew up in a family, and they didn't mean harm by this, but it was expected to, to go to college, and that's what I was going to do. And um, I was actually really good at school. I'm, I'm not like those entrepreneurs that it's like, I'm a C or D student. I was actually really good at school, but when I got to college, I just realized, like, this is this is not meant for me. And uh, I went to North Texas, and I never finished there, and, and to this day, um, I'm, I'm grateful for my experience, but uh, I'm also grateful that there are people and mentors out there like yourself that show the way on how to be an entrepreneur and how to come up with these creative different strategies within real estate like you're doing with the Airbnb and uh, it's incredible that you've been a mentor for 17 years so thank you for what you do as an entrepreneur and, and helping other people get started in their, their past and uh, thank you for sitting down with us today on this show uh, I'm, uh, I'm extremely honored that you came on and, and shared your story. Happily, no problem. If um, you know, if you ever would like to reach out to me again, I'd be happy to go into any one of these or any one of my many, 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 many different real estate deals over the last 25 years, uh, and in depth and in detail as much as you'd like, and happy to share some of that. So I do that on a regular basis. So feel free. Yeah, man. 
I, I think I'll take you up on that. I'll have you come back here in a, a couple months, and, and we'll break down one specific strategy. Um, for everyone that's listening, I uh, hope you thoroughly enjoyed today's episode. Uh, please go on iTunes and leave us a, a five-star review. Uh, that helps get the word out. And uh, like I say every week, uh, at some point in time, we're going to figure out iTunes' algorithm on how we can get more listeners on the show. Dale, thank you so much for sitting down with us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, bud. No problem. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, R.J. Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. <laughs>